Hello and welcome to the all-new Patriots Rising podcast show. Here we'll be talking about current events around the world and here at home. And we'll be discussing everything prepper-related, uh, survival in the coming days. Alright, so grab your seat. Hey, and thanks for tuning in to, for another episode of Patriots Rising. All right, what we have here today is actually a speech from a man named Mark Robinson, who is running for lieutenant governor of the state of North Carolina. People, I went to his uh, speech last night, and I got to say I was truly impressed with this man. What I'm doing here is I'm going to play the entire speech. It was like 40 minutes long, and uh, you can, you know, make up your own mind on what you think about him. But, you know, I was truly impressed, and if you live in North Carolina, you need to check this man out. And like I said, this is probably 40, 45 minutes long. So, you know, kind of stick with it to the end. That way you get a good good perception of this man. Because I have to tell you, I am personally going to vote for him. He, he was that impressive. Super nice guy. You could tell he cared about what he was doing and what he was running for. And me, as a voter, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for someone to protect my right as an American citizen. A legal American citizen. So with all that being said, here is his speech. You know, listen to it. Listen to it to the end. See what you think. For the mission of our sins and to save our souls and make it possible for us to spend our eternity in heaven. But it just amazes me how much mercy he has on us. And daily, we can't get it right, you know. We can't get it right day by day. We, we continually stumble day by day. We always don't say the right things and do the right things. But he continues to have mercy on us. Continue, and he continues to bless us on top of it. So I give him thanks uh, first and foremost. But second off, I'd like to give thanks to these two guys who travel with me here. Uh, John's one of my staffers, uh, and uh, Nathan is my field director. Uh, I've basically just been in the truck with them, and they've been driving and dropping me off and say, here, go in there and talk. So <laughs> I, it's just amazing to me how much work they've done on this thing. And I really appreciate it. And then finally, guys, I'd like to thank all of you all for coming out here on a Monday evening when you could be doing anything else, i.e. watching the national championship game. Uh, and you're out here to, to talk, talk politics and come out here and see me. So thank you very much for coming. So let's just let's get straight into this thing, guys. Uh, since I've got you in here and we're in a private room and I can take a, just a tad bit more time, right? Uh, let's do it this way. Let's do it the way I've been doing it. Since I started, look, guys, I'm going to tell you three things here tonight. And I'm not going to take up a whole lot of time, but I'm going to tell you three things. The first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you who I am, then I'm going to tell you what I am, and then I'm going to tell you why I'm running for Lieutenant Governor. So let's talk about who I am. My name is Marquis Robinson. I'm from uh, Greensboro, right down the mountain down here, right down past Winston-Salem. I was number nine of ten children, remember that, born into an extremely poor family. Very poor growing up. We had very tough. Uh, that's very important. It's very important. This campaign is very important to me for, for a specific reason, and I'll tell you why. Uh, like I said, born and raised in Greensboro with Greensboro City Schools. Uh, graduated from high school in Greensboro from Grimsley High School. Uh, joined the Army Reserves. Uh, came home from the Army Reserves. Went to college. Flirted around with that for a little while. Uh, eventually got married right after that. Uh, Two children, a uh, boy and a girl. Uh, boy is 
he's taking the scenic route like his old man. He's working and doing his thing and finding himself and uh, trying to figure all this out. He's a very good kid, uh, loves music and stuff like that. Then I have a daughter who's just like my wife. She went to high school, then she went to college, and then she went to college, and then she went to college. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, she is actually an 88 now with Gilbert County. She's an assistant assistant di uh, district attorney with Gilbert County. And she, yeah, there, there you go. And she's, she's married and she has a, a little boy, two years old, who made our Christmas absolutely fantastic. And, uh, uh, she's actually pregnant now, 11 weeks with uh, a little girl. So uh, we're looking forward to that. Uh, now, like I said, coming up, I was real poor. And that plays into my story uh, uh, for why I'm writing for Lieutenant Governor. A message that I really want to spread. The message is really about my mom. When my father passed away when I was in the fifth grade, uh, my mom had the opportunity to just sit at home and collect the welfare check. And a friend of hers even told her that, but my mom chose not to do that. My mom had a fifth grade education and she had five children, ranging from elementary school to high school in her house. My mom got up, went across the street to the university, got a job as a custodian, and that's how she took care of us. She didn't use government funds, she didn't use welfare. She got up, chose work over welfare, and she built a life for us. She gave us things in life that we had never had when we were younger. We had a car, a new home, color television and all that good stuff that we never had when we were very young my father was alive. She gave it to us by, on a custodian salary because my mother understood something. She understood that working for yourself and taking care of yourself trumps everything. That's how you build a life. You don't beg, build a life by begging for, from, the, from the government or waiting for a check to come every month. You build a life by going out and earning and building a life for yourself. And that's what she did. One of the greatest things she taught me in life was to work with myself and make sure that you take care of yourself. So, uh, uh, you know, after I uh, had been married for, I've been married for probably about a year. And uh, I was steadily looking for a, a better opportunity. I was working in a restaurant and I needed to uh, make more money. Just make it plain. I need to make more money. My wife's uncle worked in the furniture industry. And he got me a job in a furniture manufacturer. Uh, I learned how to upholster, and I was making, I was making what I thought then was big money. I mean, I was making 100, 150 dollars a day. You know, uh, we bought a new home, and everything was great. Life was sweet, man. We were, I mean, my wife had a job, I had a job. We had two kids. Everything was great. But then something had been passed not too long before I started working at at the furniture plant. Something called NAFTA had been passed, and uh, slowly I started to see the wages of that that job diminish. And it diminished down to the point where I could no longer sustain my bills with that job. So I had to leave, go back into the restaurant business, start all over again. Uh, did a lot of financial damage to my family. We had to make a lot of financial changes. Uh, but I went back into the restaurant business. I was uh, able to secure a position where I became a general manager for a pizza chain. Made really good money doing that. Everything was fine. Uh, but ultimately, I found myself getting burned out on that because I was missing out a lot at home because I was working so many hours. Uh, so I left that job, uh, decided I was going to go back to college again, uh, tried to get serious about college, but in the midst of going back to college and I was working for an uh, aircraft maintenance facility on third shift, my wife had this wild idea that she would open up a daycare center in our house. <laughs> and so she did, and then as soon as she opened it, this thing exploded like wildfire. 
and we moved into a freestanding building and she convinced me to quit my job and quit school and work with her in the daycare center. And we did that for I think somewhere between somewhere between nine and twelve years that we did that. Uh, and that was a very rewarding experience. But one thing I learned while we were operating that daycare center, I learned something else about the government. I learned how government bureaucracy can make it hard on small business people, make it almost impossible for you to run a business. Uh, our daycare center was desperately needed in our area. Uh, it was one of the very few daycare centers that uh, 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 lower income people could reach without having to have an automobile. It was right on what we call the bus line. Uh, very accessible, and uh, but the government made it very difficult for us to operate that business, particularly for my wife, who was actually behind the scenes running it. So uh, push came to shove, and she just got tired. She really got tired of dealing with all the paperwork, all the all the bureaucracy. She decided to sell it to a friend of hers. She went back to school, and I went back into manufacturing. Uh, she was studying to get her master's degree in accounting. At this time, both of my children have moved out of high school and now are in college. I'm working at a manufacturing job. I'm the only person working in my household. I'm supporting an entire household of three people in college on a manufacturing salary. And was making it pretty good, you know. Of course, I had to shuck some things around, and, you know. Sometimes had to rob people to make pay Paul. But we made it work. And I made it work off that manufacturing salary. And I just made more and more money while I was there. I became a supervisor. It's a very good job. And during that time, I also decided, after my wife got done, I decided to go back to school myself. And uh, this time, I got serious about it. My plan was to become a high school, uh, not a high school, but a college uh, professor. I wanted to teach history on the college level. And so uh, I'm working, doing my thing, everything's going great, and all of a sudden, they call us all into the office, and they sit us down, and they tell us to shut the plan down, and they're moving it to Mexico. So the second time I see NAFTA come back and destroy a job, uh, this only this time 350 people, many of whom had put decades into this place, found themselves without jobs, found themselves out, out of work because of bad federal policy. And at that point, I was keenly aware of what was happening. In fact, the whole time I was there, I was wondering when the hammer would fall when this place would shut down because of NAFTA, and eventually it did. But I moved out there, went into another manufacturing job, still going to school. And that's where I was, folks, when I got that tussle with the Greensboro City Council over our gun rights. I was working full-time and going to school. I went down there, spoke to them, said what I said. The video went viral. And then after that, everybody came calling. GOP came calling. NRA came calling. And uh, it got to the point where I was missing so much work, I said, you know, I need to just devote full-time to this. And so that's exactly what I did. I devoted full time to traveling the country, in fact, traveling the world, spreading the conservative message, talking about the Second Amendment, talking about conservative issues, speaking on behalf of the GOP. And uh, that's what, uh, that's been my life up to this point. Uh, now, of course, running for Lieutenant Governor. But that's been my life to this, up to this point. And that's how I got to where I am right now. And that's just a little bit about who I am. So, uh, so now, what am I? What am I? I call myself a Christian, number one. I am an American, number two. Mark Gatlin, American, number two. I am a conservative, number three. And I am a Republican, number four. In that order, in order of importance. Uh, number one, why am I a Christian? I'm a Christian because Jesus Christ is the ultimate example of service and sacrifice in all of humanity. Jesus Christ had the keys of 
the, he had the keys of the universe in his hands. What did he do with them? He didn't use them like uh, to become a king or uh, a tyrant over us. He laid those keys down on the ground and gave himself up as a living sacrifice so we could spend eternity in heaven. He is the ultimate example of service and sacrifice. He gave his life for us so we could spend eternity in heaven with his father. So that's why I'm a Christian. Because he is that great example of service and sacrifice and we appreciate that. Uh, and so number two is America. I want y'all to notice what I left out of that. Anybody see what I left out of that when I said that? I did not say African American. Guys, I'm not African. I'm not. I pledge no allegiance to any African nation. I don't fly any African nation's flag. I've never been on the continent of Africa. Never even been close. That's exactly right. The nation that I pledge allegiance to is the United States of America. Hence, I am an American. No hyphens, no dashes, no ifs, no ands, no buts, no halves, nothing. Fully, 100% American. The unique experiences that we've had in this country, all of us have had in this country, there's only one way to describe it, and that's America. It's America. It's our American history, our American, shared American history. That's why I call. That's why I call myself just an American. And so, why am I conservative? Why do I call myself a conservative? I call myself a conservative. Because conservatives operate off principles. We operate off principles. We do not operate off of, hello? We do not operate off of high-minded, silly ideas. We do not do it. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Ideas are great things. When Henry Ford had the idea for the assembly line, that was a great idea. But that would not have become a reality if Henry Ford had not put some solid principles <clears throat> into creating it and making it into reality. That's what you need behind any idea to make it a reality. Ideas are fine, but there, if there is no principles behind those ideas, they will not become a reality. If you see an empty field and think, man, I'd like to grow oranges or tobaccos or apple trees or Christmas trees on that empty land. You will never grow anything on that land if you don't put some solid farming principles behind it. You have got to put principles behind ideas to make them reality. And that is what conservatives do. We put principles behind our ideas to make them a reality, make them successful. We don't come up with a Green New Deal. Lay it out in front of people and then when asked how are you going to pay for it, say, I don't know. You see, that's an idea. No principles behind it. Nothing behind it. That's why they can't tell you how they're going to pay for it. So conservatives operate off principles, and that's why I call myself a conservative. And why do I call myself a Republican? Folks, that's something. The Republican Party is a party of freedom and equality, and it always has been. To hear people tell it, they say the Democratic Party is, but that's not true. Because when it was time to stand up to, to end slavery, who was it that did it? It was the Republican Party. When it was time to stand up to give everybody, women and blacks, the right to vote, who was it that stood up and did it? It was the Republican Party that stood up and did it. When it was time to reverse Jim Crow and time to reverse separate but equal, who was it that stood up and reversed it? It was Republicans. And today, when you talk about things like standing up for the unborn, who is it that stands up for the unborn? It's Republicans. 
Republicans are the party of freedom and equality. And we always have. That's why I call myself a Republican. So now, why am I running for Lieutenant Governor? Simple, folks. And I'm going to go through these things real quick because I think you all can understand this and, and catch on to it real quick and we'll agree with all of them. Three, three things. And split them up in three parts. There's one big part in the middle and there's four on each side. Let's go through the first two on that in, in the first pocket. The first ones I put together for a reason. The first ones I put together, the first ones, are standing up for the rights of the unborn and standing up for the Second Amendment. Folks, we have got to stand up for the unborn. The unborn are the most innocent human life on earth. And if nobody is willing to stand up for them and protect them, then I really believe God is going to take his blessing and his hand off of this nation. If we can't stand up for the most vulnerable among us, then he's not going to continue to stand up for us. Right now, the Republican Party is the party that stands up for the unborn. And in Raleigh, that's exactly what I'll do as Lieutenant Governor. I will stand up for the unborn every day that I'm in that office. Because I see no greater cause than to stand up for the innocent. It, 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 it does not get any more innocent than the unborn. So now you ask yourself, why do I put right beside that the Second Amendment? Folks, the Second Amendment, the Second Amendment is the guns on the parapet of our fortress of freedom, which is our Constitution. But I want you to think about this. If you have folks who are wicked enough to kill an infant that has just been born, yeah. what do you think they'll do to their political enemies? I.e. me and you. Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly. Folks, uh, uh, somebody who's in favor of infanticide is a wicked person. And those people are at the highest levels of government and they're trying to take their guns away from you, they've already sent you a message that they don't care about human life. So you need to take a look at them and the situation and then you need to look back at history. And you need to find out what happened with other, uh, uh, with other uh, tyrants took away people's rights to bear arms. You need to look at what happened when Stalin took away people's rights in Russia, and what Hitler did when he took away people's rights in Germany, and what Mao did in China when he took away people's rights to bear arms. And when Pol Pot, Khmer Rouge, uh, Fidel Castro, and this guy down here in Venezuela, when he disarmed his people, what happened? What was the very next step? Tyranny. And what was the very next step after terror, despair, and oppression? And what was the very next step after that? Mass death. Folks, our founding fathers were wise men, and they knew that governments that hold all the guns and hold all the power always become tyrannical. That's why it is not just important, it is imperative that we hold on to the Second Amendment with everything that we have, and we fight to preserve it. So those are the first two things of Lieutenant Governor that I'd like to focus on. In the very middle of my platform, there's a big section for the, for the second thing, and it is education. Uh, the Lieutenant Governor, that's one of his major roles, is to sit on the State Board of Education. Folks, when it comes to education, to me, it's something. The very first thing I want to focus on in education is ending indoctrination in our schools. It has got to stop. We have what is called the Department of Public Instruction. But for my money, you could change that and call it the Department of Public Indoctrination. Because they're no longer educating our kids, folks. 
They're no longer concentrating on trying to teach our kids how to think. They're trying to tell them what to think. We need to reverse that trend. We need to make sure that these kids, and this this be my first priority. Now, we certainly want to focus on grade seven through 12, and we want to make sure that those children are getting what they need. But folks, it starts with those, those premier grades, one through six. We need to make sure that those children are getting a solid base of reading, writing, and mathematics. And that's it. We don't need to be teaching them about gender fluidity. We don't need to be teaching them about pornographic uh, sexual education. We don't need to be asking them what gender they feel like today. We don't need to be trying to teach them about so-called racial issues that we can't even understand. We need to be giving these kids a basic education, a base, a strong base of education that's going to help them matriculate through the rest of their, their education and be a success in life. Currently, that's not happening. It's not happening, and we need to change that trend. And we need somebody who's going to go into office and strongly demand, not ask, not beg, not uh, compromise, not say, well, maybe. There's no if, ands, or buts about it. We have got to get back to educating our children. We have got to get back to educating our children. I said this at a forum. The bottom line is this. The Department of Public Edu Education needs to just teach our kids. Stop indoctrinating them with this trash. Stop filling their minds with all this trash. Get back to some solid discipline in these classrooms and in these schools and just teach our children. Because that is supposed to be the mission of our schools. The mission of our schools is not to teach our children what religion they should be. Certainly shouldn't be teaching them what gender they are. It's to teach them how to read how to write, how to do mathematics, and prepare them for a future in education that will help to build them into strong, independent people. We need to get back to that. So education right there in the middle. And then finally, on the other end, there's two things again. Number one on those two things. We need to increase veterans' care in this state, folks. The state of veterans' care in North Carolina is a shambles. It's, it's sad. We need to make veterans' care in North Carolina the gold standard across this country. Other states need to be looking at us, uh, saying, how in the world are you guys attracting so many veterans to your state? People say it can't be done, but i put it to you like this. For many years, our state tax code was antiquated and backwards. And we had conservatives who came into office around 2011 who turned our tax code around. And, and they revitalized our tax code, and they revamped our tax code. And now North Carolina's tax code is a model in this country. Other states are trying to, Im, trying to mimic our tax code because through that, we were able to attract business organically, private business organically, and raise the economic stature of this state. We can do the same thing when it comes to veterans care. All it takes is some good, strong legislation, some good, strong uh, programs for veterans, and we can do it. It's not a question that we can do it. We just have to get people on board. And we have to get elected officials to stop asking They've got to start demanding. When you've got something that needs to be done that's the right thing to do, you have to demand that it get done, not ask. And you've got to stand up strong and make that demand. And I plan on doing that. So taking care of veterans and increasing veterans' care. And then finally, the last thing I want to stand up for, Lieutenant Governor, is folks, we've got to start standing up for law enforcement. It's the bottom line. 
we got to stop laying back and allowing law enforcement to be uh, derided and assassinated and sped upon, have water thrown on them. We got to stand up strong for those guys. Those guys and gals get up every morning, go out on the streets, and put their lives on the line for us. Elected officials need to be right there to back them up as they're doing their job, and it's not happening. And it's very dangerous to all of us that they're not, because they're causing crime to rise. Had uh, some uh, high-polluting college professor tell me, well, actually, crime is all going all-time low. Of course crime is at an all-time low. Police officers, are, police officers are afraid to fight crime. You have police officers that would rather sit in their car and watch a crime happen than go out and confront the crime because they're afraid <clears throat> once they do confront the crime that they'll be putting their own lives on the line and their own careers and their own families on the line. And why? Because elected officials refuse to stand up for them when they're doing their jobs. we got to change that trend, folks. we got to have people in office that are willing to stand up and change that trend. So, folks, those are, that is the reason why I'm running for lieutenant governor. And that's who I am, what I am. And again, why I'm running for Lieutenant Governor now. You may have heard what I just said. You might like what I just said. You might love all of this. You might be thinking in your mind, what can you do to help to help me on this journey uh, to become Lieutenant Governor? Well, the very first thing we need, folks, we need your prayers. That's the very first thing. We need you to spread the word. But guys, we also need your, your dollars. We also need donations to make this thing happen. We're on a statewide tour right now trying to get this message all across North Carolina try to help drive us to victory. And one of the things that we need is we need funds to be able to make this thing happen. So anything that you can do financially, we would certainly appreciate it. You can go to my website, markrobinsonfornc.com. Uh, you can sign up there to volunteer. You can also sign up there to, to, to donate to our campaign. Uh, thank you all for being here. I appreciate it. Like I said on this Monday night, when you could have been anywhere else. You're here uh, looking at this big ugly guy talk about his campaign. And I certainly appreciate it, guys. I think that's ah, just big, not ugly. That's, that's pretty good, Mike. But guys, I certainly appreciate it. I'll stand for any questions you may have now. Absolutely not. This is the very first time. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes. Yes. It is. It is. Thank you. I certainly appreciate that. Thank you, man. Yes, sir. Where does the Common Core stand right now? Common Core, where does it stand? Uh, stands in the way. <laughs> it stands in the way. Uh, our current superintendent had promised he would get rid of Common Core. Uh, that's one of the things, those social engineering programs that I talked about that I want to get rid of first. I don't think Common Core should even be an option to teach in public schools. Shouldn't even be an option. Should be wiped away completely. If you want to teach your kids with Common Core, take them home and teach them that. Uh, it doesn't fit. Uh, it, it just doesn't fit anywhere as far as I'm concerned. It needs to go completely. But right now, it's uh, some places are opting out of it. Some school systems are opt opting out of it. But as far as the uh, uh, Department of Public Instruction goes, it's still standing, which which is odd because. You know, they, they instituted Common Core without anybody else's knowledge. They didn't ask us anything about it. They did it in a backdoor deal behind the scenes. So. Absolutely, absolutely. Yes, ma'am. I like what you said in your four points. Yes, Yes. Uh, is there anything that you would like the Trump administration to be involved in? 
If I could say that anything that I'd like the Trump administration to do, guys, this is going to sound real odd, but one of them's not because it's right in line. I would love President Trump to come out more demonstratively, more demonstratively uh, for law enforcement, to push the message of standing up for law enforcement. I really would love to see him do that more and more and more and more. Uh, but when it, it, it comes to, to our president, uh, the only thing I want him to do is not shut up. There are a lot of people that want him to shut up. I do not want him to shut up because shutting up is what got us in the mess that we're in now. We need people who are willing to speak up and tell the truth. And the ugliest thing to a leftist is the truth. That's why they despise President Trump because he tells the truth. And some of the things, have some of the things he said been kind of make you do this in a little Yes. But folks, I've been watching boxing matches where I was cheering for my guy to win and he hit the other guy and I went, ooh. But that's what needs to happen for him to get his victory. He needs to throw those strong punches and those strong jabs. But let me tell you what, they can talk about his tweeting all day long. But you can take his entire collection of tweets, his so-called worst hits, if you want to call it that, and you can line them all up. And they don't even compare to being as disgusting as the action of, of the Obama administration right. during the Benghazi attack. Exactly. Or when they allowed our sailors in Iran to be put down on their knees by those Iranian sailors. Or fast and furious under Eric Holder. It pales in comparison to that. That type of stuff is unprecedented. You want to talk about unprecedented, that's unprecedented. Sitting and watching an American ambassador die and not sending any help, that's unprecedented. President Trump is doing a wonderful job, and the one thing he needs to do is not stay silent because he's charging up the American people, and he's raising people up that have not been in politics for many years and been disaffected because we've had so many cowardly politicians in office. And he's finally showing that courage is bringing people out, and I think it's wonderful. That's important. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, ma'am. How has uh, Governor Cooper done well? No. Oh, no. <laughs> no. No, I'm gonna just, I'm gonna tell you how I describe Roy Cooper. Alright, so we're on the highway. The speed limit is 70. Okay? The highway speed is 70. There's a transfer truck in this lane. And the transfer truck is going uh, 70. And all of North Carolina is in the fast lane trying to pass the transfer truck. Roy Cooper is the lead car, he's going 45. <laughs> that's that's Roy Cooper. He is a brick wall, he is an obstructionist, he is a guy who is not interested at all in advancing North Carolina in the, in the right way. Roy Cooper is in office for Roy Cooper, period. He's trying to be a, a big time highfalutin New York City Democrat, and that's exactly what he's doing. He's pushing that agenda for his own, for his own selfish reasons. He could care less about me and you, and he could care less about North Carolina. The only thing he's interested in doing is pushing an agenda that's going to make him more powerful. He doesn't care anything about us, and he's done a horrible job as governor. Now, he's done a wonderful job as an obstructionist, but he's done a horrible job as the governor of North Carolina, and he needs to go. Yes, sir. Absolutely, sure did. Uh, I took an oath to the Constitution when I was about 18. Yes. And uh, one thing that I've been trying to, uh, a lot of us actually been trying to get going in Haywood County is to get our commissioners to uh, come on board with uh, 
Second Amendment sanctuary count. Yes. And uh, unfortunately and sadly, we've been met with almost uh, uh, hatred <laughs> just for bringing it up. Uh, there's, there's how, a can, lot. how can we uh, how can we help convince our county commissioners that we need to make hay with the Second Amendment sanctuary account? And what is your thoughts on the Second Amendment? Well, the fellow interviewed me just asked me about that. He said invariably to ask you get to ask you about that. They said, well, those are the, you know this is ridiculous to me. I'm sorry. If there's any commissioners in here to disagree, I'm sorry if you disagree. Just that's ridiculous when you say, well, it doesn't do anything. It's just making a statement. It's not doing anything. Uh, let's think about another thing that made a statement called the Declaration of Independence. The Declaration of Independence was not a law. It wasn't legislation that was passed. There was no rules spelled out in the Declaration of Independence that made any difference to any legislation, legislative body. Not even to the king that it was written <coughs> But it made a statement. It made a bold statement that we declared ourselves independent. If those men on that council want to make a bold statement that they declare that the Second Amendment keeps free men free and keeps this nation from falling into slavery, then they need to make it by declaring this county a sanctuary county. And all of them do. Because that's what it makes. It makes a statement that you stand united with the people in your county to protect, your, protect this county from gun control. Electing That's Gary what you Ramey. need to tell them. Electing Gary Ramey is step in the right direction. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. If they still refuse to do it, you vote them out and you vote somebody in that will do it. March the 3rd. Absolutely. Absolutely. Anybody else? Uh, NAFTA. I was fooled by that tonight. Yes. comfortable with what we, the situation we have with Canada and Mexico The now. USMCA, uh, the, the deal that Trump has come up with, USMCA, yeah. there are some things in that that give me pause for concern. So in other words, you've expressed that you lost your employment. Yes. But yes. We're, at least we're moving in the right direction. We're moving in the right direction, but there are some things that, that, that I'm concerned about. And the more I read about it, I see there are some things in, that the Trump administration itself is still thinking about revamping and changing because some concerns have been involved in him that they're starting to take serious. But I certainly feel more confident in the hands of a man like President Trump than I do than a man like President Clinton. <laughs> yes, ma'am. What do you think about the $22 trillion debt? <laughs> here, here it is. Eventually, eventually we're going to have to do something about it. And it's going to hurt. It's just like the thing with China. You know, I hate it that it hurts farmers, and I hate it that it hurts business on one hand, and it hurts trade on the other hand, but it's like that old thing of taking medicine, you know? You can sit back and you can say, well, I just got the flu, I'm gonna ride it out, and then the flu kills you. Or you can do what's necessary and take that medicine to get rid of it. Uh, eventually, we're gonna have to do something about it. Now, what is the answer? Oh, that's above my pay grade on what the answer to the, the deficit is. But I am behind anybody who comes up with a solid, conservative-minded, principle-driven solution to the deficit. Because if we don't do something about it, it's eventually the house of cards is going to collapse. We've got to start doing something about it. 
just hope we can keep, get somebody and keep people in office who are willing to try to do something. Yes, sir. How do you take on the issue of socialism being promoted and the fact that people say it just hasn't been done right in the past, but we've got the answers? You know where, exactly. You know where that answer lies? That answer lies squarely in that middle portion of my platform in education. You know the reason why these children are embracing socialism? Because they don't know the history of socialism. They do not know how dangerous it is. We have not taught them about the poison of socialism and communism and how dangerous it is. And not just how it has destroyed nations, but how it has taken millions of lives. Millions of lives. You know, they demonize uh, capitalism. Capitalism has raised the living conditions of more people around this globe than any form of economics ever on this planet. Our entire planet has basically been transformed because of capitalism. There's a higher standard of living around the globe because of capitalism. But there is no more dangerous form of government in the history of humanity than communism and socialism. Just in the 20th century alone, we can count off 20 million, 18 million, some almost 300 million, then another 10 million, and then another 10 to 12 million, and then another almost 15 million. Just over and over and over again, mass grave after mass grave, gulag after gulag, prison after prison, torture room after torture room, a socialist, Marxist nations that have destroyed destroyed nations and destroyed lives. And we're not teaching that to our children. We're simply not doing it. You know, we teach our children about the Nazis. But how many of them know that the Nazis were actually socialists? How many know that the, that the, that the, that the Nazis were fighting the Russians and the Russians, 10 years before they went to fight the Nazis, had killed almost 10 years, 10 million Ukrainians before World War II even started. How many know that Mao, after directly after World War II ended, killed some 300 million of his own people? We are not teaching our children how dangerous socialism and communism is. And that's why they're embracing it. And it goes falls squarely on the shoulders of our education system. And that's where the answer lies. We've got to start teaching our children about the history of socialism and communism so they know that it's poison, that it has that skull and crossbones on it, and that they turn away from it. And that's where the answer lies in education. Absolutely. Absolutely. Y'all want me to say what Yes. Here it is. I don't have anything against Muslims per se. This country, you have the right to practice whatever religion you want to practice. And they're certainly free to practice their religion, but here it is. Don't ask me to respect your religion while you spit on mine. Don't ask me to respect your customs while you spit on my customs. If we're going to have fair and open dialogue here with people who practice Islam, you're in America now. If ABC Cartoon or whatever cartoon network wants to make fun of Muhammad, guess what? In this nation, they have the right to do it. And you don't have a right to go to their station and set off the ball. 
You don't have the right to go to the magazine and shoot up the magazine because they offended your religion. You don't have that right in this country. And it's high time that elected officials in this country stood up. To, and yes, there is a Muslim cabal in this country that is trying to bully this country and fundamentally transform it from being a Christian nation. It's not going to happen on my watch. You're welcome to go practice your religion in your mosque. But the minute you try to step on my toes to denigrate my religion is the minute you've overstepped your bounds. And I'm not going to keep my mouth shut and be silent about it. I'm going to call you out on your hypocrisy. And it needs to happen. As far as them infiltrating the government, you can thank George W. Bush for that. There's a great book called Mafia. Muslim Mafia. I'm friends with the fellow that wrote it. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. There is a cabal of 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 jihadi uh, 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 Muslims who are fundamentally trying to transform nations and force them to capitulate to Islam, and it's not right. The Muslim religion itself is not at fault, but these people who are doing this, we cannot tolerate. We no longer can hide from the fact that be scared somebody's going to call us an Islamophobe. I'm not even sure what that is. That sounds like a ride at Carol. The Islamophobe. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone else? Ready? All right, guys. Thank you very much. I'm going to turn this over to Big John over here. All right, everybody. We really appreciate y'all coming out. It means a lot to us. This is our sixth stop for our 100-county tour. Like Mark said, we want your prayers, we need your prayers, but again, we really need your dollars. To be quite honest with you, there's a lot of Republican candidates in this race. I've seen them all. I might be biased, but I don't think much of any of them, because we have the best candidate right here, hands down. So again, we want and need your prayers, but again, 100 counties is a lot of work. The logistics are tough, gas, hotels, you can imagine. It is a long journey ahead of us and we really need your dollars. So if you can, please donate to the campaign. Thank you. Alrighty guys, and there you go. And uh, I do have to apologize. The only thing I had with me last night was my cell phone. So it was recorded on my cell phone. And uh, as you can tell, it does not a very good job <laughs> but anyway you know it, it got it got the word out it got the word out but you can tell that this man's heart is in the right place you know he has he has his affairs in order and i honestly believe that he'll do what he says he's going to do so once again if you live in the state of north carolina check out mark robinson for lieutenant governor and mark if you're listening uh, you do have my support you have my family support you have my family's support and my family's prayers i, I think you'll do well friend and as I would say to any politician, don't forget what you run on, your values, your beliefs. Don't put all that aside just to fit in, which I do not think you'll do. That's exactly why I say you have my support. Alrighty, people. Thanks for sticking around. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. And see you next time.